We're looking forward to God's Word being opened in our presence this morning, and we'd like to start by reading in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. I have several places to read today. I like to read parts of the story of Abraham and the story of Rahab. Both characters are in this Bible, and as we read them and about them, why don't you see if you can uh, uh, discern what is the same about them, and what ways are they the same, and what ways are they different, and, and what do we learn from them? I'll start in reading just a little bit about Abraham in Genesis 15. I'll read the first six verses. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now let's turn over to Genesis 22, after the Isaac has been born, his promised seed, and out of this promised seed is going to be more descendants than the stars of heaven and the sands of the sea. And let's read the narrative here, Genesis 22, 1 through 14. And it came to pass, after these things, that God did tempt Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, the clay of the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. 
And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father? And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Now, that's just a little snapshot of Abraham and his obedience to God. Now let's take a look in Joshua chapter 2. At another character, a woman whose name is Rahab. What are their similarities? What do we learn from them? How are they different? The children of Israel have been waiting to get into the promised land and it's been a long wait for them. Moses has passed and now it's time for Joshua to take leadership and he's been given a message to go into the land and the first stronghold they're going to encounter is going to be Jericho and he's sending out some spies and pick up on the story there. Chapter 2, Joshua. And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named 
Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men which are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, where they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said, Thus, there came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. It came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, I want not. Pursue after them quickly, for you shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan unto the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard Ever wonder if it pays to read Bible stories to your children? We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon, Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token. And that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if you utter not this our business. And it shall be, when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Go ye to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers return, be returned. 
and afterward may you go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath, which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, According unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away. They departed. And she bound the scarlet line in the window. And they went and came into the mountain and abode there three days until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly, the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Let's read together this morning from James chapter 2. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring, in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of the world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you? and draw you from the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt not, for thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if ye commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do. 
as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath shown no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which they are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou, O vain man, that hath faith without works? But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works his faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers, and had sent them out another way. Whereas the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. James 2. Is God asking you to bear something that you think is just about impossible to bear? Does it seem like in your life about the time you get things settled where you think they should be settled, that God allows a change to take place and you hardly know whether you can understand it. Did you ever wonder, Lord, did I misunderstand your voice? Did I hear you wrong? I thought, you fill in the blanks. You ever just wonder, Lord, could it really be possible? You called me to face the test that I'm currently facing. Maybe there's some of you listening in this morning or some of you sitting right here. Your testimony would be, currently I am on a journey that I completely do not understand. I'm going, not knowing. I'm just simply putting the left foot in front of the right foot. Is that okay? Would you like to hear God's voice? What is the bride saying? Is it okay to keep listening to more? Do we trust him enough? Well, this morning I would like to give an overview as I see it 
of the book of James. I should have did, should have did this two years ago uh, before we started the series, but I think I see more now than I did then. Maybe better looking back than forward. And I'm sure some of us are at places this morning that we were not then. And I trust this will bless you this morning as it has blessed me. I only have two words that I want to preach about this morning. I thought for a long time, how would you sum up this great book? And I'm just going to give it two words. The first word is faith, and the second word is works. Now, when you read that, what does it say to you? Just read the two words together. It should say something like this. Faith works. I'm going to base that conclusion off of the 17th verse of this chapter when James says, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, it being alone. Why is an overview like this so important? Reading the book of James, it's easy to come to the conclusion that it's possible for believers to make a profession and lack a possession of true faith. All through the book of James, he's hitting at the fact that it's possible to have all kinds of works, but not faith. Paul maybe hits at that more. But James is saying it's impossible to have faith and not have a dynamic of something that's working to manifest that faith. So faith works. That's why it's important. Now, what is the goal? I've been through this book. And to me, one of the most exciting places in the book of James, something that was probably the biggest aha for me, and I'm going to tell you why, uh, I'm going to tell you that this is the goal of this sermon, is to call us up to be a kind of first fruits. And you find that in the 18th verse. When I got there, I, I couldn't hardly get off of that a couple of years ago. How it says, of his own will begat he us 
with the word of truth that we should be a kind. What kind of a fruit am I? In other words, the first fruit of the harvest is either the kicker or the blocker. I mean, the, the, yes, we want more of this. Yes, the first fruit said, look what's coming. Jesus Christ was the first fruit as he came resurrected out of the grave on that resurrection day and he became the first fruit that showed to the world this is what is coming. New life, life triumphs over death, victory over sin, grace over that which we were powerless to accomplish. Christ was the first fruit. And he's saying, now believers, you are also a kind. What kind? A kind of first fruit. So the other evening, we went over to, we visited the Meadow Ranch, where there's eight rat terrier puppies. And uh, being there just a little bit, you can soon get the idea if you get one of those puppies, what they're going to be like. They're going to be like the rest of them. They're going to be like their mom and dad that chased each other all over the yard. And say, yeah, is that the kind of uh, faith that, that I possess? Is that the kind of first fruit that I am? When people see us and they say, yes, I know what that, I know where that came from. That was ignited by the Lord Jesus. And yes, I'll be able to expect more of that because kind produces kind and it can, inside of fruit there is a reproduction organi organism. A seed continues to reproduce. The faith works. Very important. So I'd like to spend just a little time this morning. I'm a little challenged about trying to recap all the messages. Sometimes as we try to recap so many messages, I'm afraid I'll get lost in the shuffle. And, and if I'm lost, I'm pretty sure you will be too. And so I may just stick with uh, some type of an overview here this morning. Let's sing together number two hundred and. 41. We'll talk just a little bit about James, and we'd like to break this into a couple parts. 241. Oh, who would not a Christian be? The Lord of life and glory see. Obey his word out of true love and meet the blessed saints above. To serve our God, oh, let us try. Uphold his cause, all self-deny, that when our days are numbered here, we may in heaven with Christ appear. James is the Lord's brother. In uh, Galatians, there are several Jameses in the Bible, maybe three of them, but it's pretty well a known fact that the James that wrote this epistle is our Lord's half-brother. And Galatians 1 and 19 it says that uh, the other apostles, Paul says, 
I saw none save James, the Lord's brother, after he had been alone in Arabia for a while. Who is James? Uh, this doesn't sound very respectful, but I, I kind of gather this from the scriptures that during the time of the Lord's ministry, he was not a believer. I, I don't know what else to make out of it. There's a scripture in John 7, verse 5. It says, neither did his brethren believe in him. I don't know whether James is one of those or not, but you know, we just as well give it to our flesh. Our, our, our flesh comes hard, and we don't always see good things and grasp them immediately. And, and sometimes that's not all bad because we wrestle through things. It certainly was a blessing to James. Uh, James is the Lord's brother. We read in 1 Corinthians 15 and 7 that uh, Jesus appeared to, to various ones, but especially it says that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. So he, was, uh, he saw the Lord after the resurrection. Um, powerful experience. James was also in the upper room. When they were come in, Acts 1.13, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. So James was uh, in on the, the action. And also uh, James was um, a leader in the Jerusalem church. Uh, the, it says in uh, Acts 21:17, when they were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly, and the day following Paul went in with us unto James and the elders that were present. Now, one thing I appreciate so much listening to Jesus' teaching, Jesus talked simple, and a lot of James's teaching reminds me of Jesus' teaching. You know, Jesus just had a little... He kind of taught with bullets. They were just impactful. They, they, they weren't boring. Uh, they just hit the target. And James is a lot of that way too. Uh, a lot of things in James uh, I think is interesting for all ages. Uh, he taught about nature. So many things. we could just, He taught about waves of the sea. You know, and the more I'm going to talk, the more you just start getting these pictures. And he'd compare something to the waves of the sea, like that unstable man. Um, a ship on a sea driven with fierce winds, you know, just out of control. He said, our lives are like withered grass. You just get the picture. He, he taught very pictorial. He talked about fire, like when he wanted to illustrate a, a tongue that's out of control. He, he likened it to a fire burning out of control. Beast, he talked about beasts could be trained, and birds can be trained, snakes can be trained. Uh, he says, oh, you know, your, your heart's like a fountain. One side of your heart wouldn't have good water, and the other side, bitter water, would it? You know, just go to the fountain, take a drink. He talked about um, fig trees, vines and figs, salt water, fresh water. One time when he was... Con saying, you think you're pretty strong? You know, there's some young people in here that look pretty strong. And he says, oh, your life is just like a vapor. Well, that kind of whittles you down to the to vapor. Not much there. Talked about moths, rust, gold, silver, fields, 
oil, rain, just simple things. So easy to get our mind around this morning. He teaches a lot like Jesus. It captures your attention. Uh, somebody said one time that James is like a book of Christian Proverbs. You know, you ever try to sit down and make kind of a lesson out of the Proverbs, and about the time you think you got a little trend going there, zoop, it goes out another direction. You know, I don't know how to put it together. So you just read it for what it is, right? Let it hit it where, head us where we are. That's what we want this morning from Faith Works. James probably wrote this in the year of 47 to 50 A.D. I know he wrote it before 62 A.D. because at that time he was killed uh, with the sword by King Herod. So he did give his life for what he believed. That makes his writing more precious. Uh, he wrote to the dispersed uh, Jewish believers that, that had uh, received the Messiah and due to conditions and drought and economic and politics, they had been scattered to various regions in that area, and so he wrote to them, encouraging them. Uh, what's interesting is, is, is I look at the things that he wrote about clear back in 47 AD, and, and there, it's like reading a newspaper then, it's like reading one now too. It's, it's like, wow, it still hits me real clear today. Uh, living Word, that's why the church wants to hear him speak so much. At the brothers' meeting yesterday morning, those of you that were here, uh, I just couldn't hardly uh, sat in my seat. I hadn't looked ahead very far in the brothers' meeting. I've been thinking about this faith works message overview from James. We got to the brothers' meeting, and that is the next consideration we had is faith in action. So not too often you get to prepare a sermon and have about 18 or 20 people telling you how to do it. And so that was pretty nice. Thank you, brothers, uh, those of you that participated uh, yesterday morning. I learned so much. Uh, somebody asked me today for a, a summary, and um, yeah, I kind of have one. It might come out here. Let's talk about faith works. So let's, let's kind of break it down like this. First of all, let's say you can have works. I think we started here yesterday morning. You can have works without faith. That's just evident all through the Bible. And many of us have tried to do religious, looking, sounding, acceptable things without faith. You can do that. But James is suggesting that it's much more complicated, if not, in fact, impossible, to have faith, true faith, that doesn't produce some action and works. That's kind of a premise for yesterday morning. And I would just like to say here, I think it'd be good, so the easiest, like, sit here and feed me, and I'd like to ask you some questions. Would you be prepared to stand up here this morning and say, I would like to share with the congregation a time when my faith led me to, and you fill in the blank. What's your story? What has your faith led you to do? I suppose it's also fair to say, what has your faith led you not to do? 
I prefer the positive. What has your faith led you to do? Say, well, I just can't think of anything. Uh, don't give up too quick. I, I think yesterday we went around the room and, and uh, we 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 kind of got pretty hard on ourselves and went to some hard places and and I was feeling like I'm not sure this is hardly possible and and finally um, we we got reverted back around to well you know somewhere faith somewhere the actual faith the conviction the conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord has to move out and base that claim on Him. And that's movement and that's work in itself. And that, it kind of, kind of brought the score up for me. I appreciated that. No action, no faith. Is that true? Where's the yardstick? And who's the, whose yardstick do we use? Uh, God's the only one that holds the yardstick to that. So what is faith? And I'm going to say what is works. So you know where I'm coming from. Faith, as we're talking this morning, is the conviction of the truth or belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things. Conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And most of us will say, yep, we're in. But beware of something. I find that in various stops that I've made in teaching settings, that people have faith in, in all kinds of things. And I want to clarify something here this morning. It's the problem with doing an overview. We can't take it all, but I'll take some pot shots. Let's make sure we're talking about the right faith. And I like what James said in the first verse of the chapter Rodney read this morning. Don't lose sight of this. my brethren... And he's given us a warning there. Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. We're talking about the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, if that's not enough, the Lord of glory. He just like, he really poured it on there. I like that. That's who we're talking about this morning, the Lord of glory. Well, what is works? My works is just my, my business, my employment, the, the actions that faith motivates me, and I respond in that appropriate way. And so we can say, well, uh, if I showed you children a picture of, um, we could just say, Noah. I'll say Noah. So if I held up a prop up here, and I've got a picture of Noah's ark. Noah's ark. Can you see it? So did Noah have faith? And the obvious answer would be yes. And I'd say, how do you know? And you say, well, look what he did. He believed God. He went to work. He built an ark. He saved his house. Now, what if I showed you a picture of three boys being cast upside down into a great big furnace of fire. And these, few, these fiery flames are just belching out, and these boys are going in there, and pretty soon they're walking around in there. And I said, did the three Hebrew boys have faith? 
And you say, yes. I say, well, how do you know? Well, they weren't willing to bow down to idols. They were willing to, they said, we're not going to change. We're going to believe our God. We're not going to change. We're not going to bow to the idol. And they said, well, if you do, I'll throw you in the fire. And they said, you know, our God is able to save us in the fire, but if he's not able to save us, we're still not bowing down. So they had faith. And we know that by largely what they did and how they responded. And, of course, we don't want to miss Jesus. Jesus himself had faith. If I showed you a picture of the cross... We don't, I, sometimes I think we get selfish with Christ's work and we say it was all for me, but it's really about Christ's faith and obedience to please his Father. I and you become the recipients of that work, the byproduct which is salvation through Jesus Christ. And that should really inspire us to work. Uh, it's something that Yesterday morning, I'm going to give some snapshots. I think for a while yesterday morning, it was a little bit like, you know what? I'm really fighting to have faith. And so I'm not sure that I really have much faith because my life and my testimony seems often so dark and so black. I'm not sure I have much faith. And that's the beauty of working together in a band of brothers. Other brother says, you know what? That's exactly the time when my faith has been strengthened the greatest. In my darkest time, my faith has been strengthened the most. Thank you for that. Thank you for the honesty. Thank you for the, the, the plug that that gives us. It's something that we fight for. And that almost if you're struggling this morning, you say, Lord, I don't even know what I'm here for. My faith is like a black hole. But if you say, I'm not willing to give up, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to trust Jesus to shine a light in this dark hole. He will meet you there and He will strengthen your faith and He will give your story a testimony that you would have never had had you not been fighting and kicking down in the dark black hole. I can go back to times in my life I would have given anything to jump out of the fight and out of the fire. Anything. And waiting for God to reach down and pick me up, he would just say something like, oh. You'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, right where you live. Right in your struggle. I'm so thankful for that. I could give many more stories. Also yesterday morning we were warned that, you know, just because we've got some action, you say, you got people over here that are buying in, I'm no good believing, well, I'm no good because I'm fighting for faith. That's a lie. You got people on the other side that says, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna get in and I'm gonna work hard and I'm gonna, I'm gonna surely conjure up something and surely faith will catch up with me. And I think the brother yesterday morning says, that's carnal sweat. There's no power in that. How about this question? Well, is it okay to do the right thing even if I don't feel it then? And we ran that around. Is it okay to do the right thing? Okay, I know what the right thing is to do, but I don't quite feel it. I don't know whether I'm being, uh, how to say, uh, 
I don't know whether I'm being motivated or goad motivated, if that makes any sense. I can see it in my mind. And someone says, how about Jesus? Do you think it always felt right to him? Do you think he was just jumping up and down in the garden to just, just give me that cross? There are times God calls us to the end of our flesh. It's the right thing. But it may not be the happy clappy. It doesn't need to be the frozen chosen either. It's somewhere in between. It's called faith that works. Often it was time when people would step into the water. The water would part. They went to places yesterday we learned that when men of God and women of God are willing to go to places that God must show up, that is a wow. Like stepping in the water. How is it going to work? Being thrown in the fire. God, you're going to show up. And I guess the boys, their testimony was, is we're not changing anyway. But they give him a good opportunity to show up. How about you? Uh, 47 years ago, I sat down here. Calculate 47 years ago, I told my wife, uh, I mean, I told my wife this morning, I said, 47 years ago today, I was driving from Kansas to Indiana, and we're going to spend a day around the place to kind of plant a few flowers. And then the next day, we're going to get married. Well, really, the bottom line is, I never got sleepy. I never got bored. I just drove those miles uh, just in great anticipation, expecting her to show up. Imagine uh, being up there at the uh, altar and, and your wife doesn't show up. You know, I just expected her to show up. And that's just a, 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 a lame illustration of putting ourselves in positions where God must show up. Say, yes, we're in this. We're, we're, we're on the way. We're waiting on you to show up, Lord. Sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? But that's the kind of faith I think we read about. That works. A pushing into a new territory. And I think the question that we talked about yesterday morning, do we encourage this kind of living? And I think, brothers and sisters, could you just call me up? Call, I, I don't, well, you can call me up if you want to, but I'm talking about we need to continually call each other up to this kind of faith that works. Go ahead and stretch out into a place that God is going to need to show up. We need to call each other up in these areas. Faith is conviction. And action is relying on God for the result. What John Maxwell says about the book of James, something like this, he says, the book of James is a book you need to read standing up because it's going to require action. We've read before that it's called the More Walk, Less Talk book. It's, it's a book that's where your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks more than your talk talks. And you say, well, what does all that mean? I'll tell you, some of the most disappointing times in my life 
was uh, at the end of a Bible school, say, uh, after a week or two or sometimes three weeks, having students write out in their native language their testimony, their personal testimony. And I'm just thinking that this is, I'm going to learn so much about what their life was before they came to Christ and how they came to Christ and what their life is like after they come to Christ. My heart has never sunk so much as getting those papers translated and receiving them in an email maybe a week or so later and testimonies like this. I lived and they would describe their sins. Not appropriate for me to describe them. And I come to Jesus. And since I've come to Jesus, my life is really no different than it was before. Church, we want to hear his voice. We need called up. There is an enemy that would be thrilled for us to just be name-only Christians. And pastors all over the world call that word nominalism. And James knew about it long before we did. It's when we are a Christian by name only, and we have no substantiating life or evidence to back up the fact that, yes, I am a first fruit. This is what's coming. Maybe we should put a sign on. I'm a first fruit. So I have a few questions, and I'm going to break this down in two parts to bring it closer home. Can you look back in your life and count God's faithfulness now in places that you never thought would be possible just a few years ago? Faith works. Question, even now. Do you feel like you are obeying God but you still have a heavy heart. Faith works. Question, do you think it is possible for God to work a greater miracle in your life than you have ever imagined? Faith works. I think the problem is sometimes we, we, we think we are going to describe what the miracle is. And I think uh, some of you here, not so far from me, have taken your hands off the description and let God work. Faith works. But what I'd like to do in uh, kind of summary is look at, at the Bible. We're just going to go to the Bible and we're going to look at faith works in principle. And then I'd like to close with how faith works in practice more of an overall catch from the book of James. Understand what I'm talking about? I'm talking about a principle. Principle is always the same. Like a, if, I, uh, if I lift this up and, I'm ha- and I just say, what will happen if I let go of it? You all know the answer. There's a gravity. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to drop. It's going to make a mess. So there's some principles. And listen to James as he talks about faith works. James 1, verse 3 I'll be doing some reading, just spot reading. If you want to follow, you may. I would invite that. James 1, verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works. Patience. Under pressure of 
Our faith life is tested to the point that we gain more stability. James 1, verse 22. Be you doers of the word and not hearers only. So there's doers, there's hearers, and if we only hear and do not do, we deceive ourselves because faith works. Don't fool yourself into thinking that I'm a true believer if God's word is not changing my life. Don't fool ourselves into believing that I'm a believer if God's word is not changing my life. Because faith works. Verse 23 of James 1. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in the glass. That means he's just looking in the mirror. He's got something hanging out of his nose. He's got egg on his whiskers. He's fairly obvious he has a problem. But he's not going to do anything. He looks at himself in verse 24, and then he goes on his way, and he straightway forgets what manner of man he was. Faith works. The 25th verse, James 1. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Because faith works. We will find delight. We will find affirmation in reading God's word and applying God's word. Chapter 2, 14th verse. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say, he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Can saying the right words will never give me the right motives? Actions are fruit. Verse 15 of 2. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be you warmed and filled, notwithstanding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What is the prophet? Say, oh, go be warm and filled. I'm not going to help you. He's saying faith works. 17th verse of James 2. Even so faith, if it hath not works, it's dead, being alone. Faith works. All God talk and no God work counts for nothing. 18th verse, James 2. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. And again, when I get done reading the verse, I say faith works. 20th verse of James 2. But wilt thou know, o vain man, that faith without works is dead? Faith works. You cut faith and works in two, and you have a corpse on your hands. And I heard yesterday morning that when I am dead, I'm really worthless, my body. Who wants it? The undertaker probably would, but uh, it wouldn't be much market. 24th verse, you see how that by works a man is justified, not by faith only, because faith works. 26th verse of James 2, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Faith works. And one more, and we're going to get into the uh, practice 
the 17th verse of chapter 4. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I want to talk about that a little more later. So we talked a little bit about faith that works and its principle. Now let's look at just a few areas of faith works in practice. I think I have six of them. Faith works in practice. And I'm going to go back to James chapter 1, and I'm just going to give you some bullets. They're just some stimulators. And I put here, number one, faith works in difficult times. Look in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. It takes faith to have the fruit of joy in difficult times. Faith works in difficult times. Faith works with wisdom. If any, verse 5, you're having a difficult time. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Having a difficult time? Faith works. Ask for wisdom. I so many times try to figure things out on my own. I say, go back to your corner, pastor, and ask. Uh, Faith works in difficult times. Giving us hope, verse 12. Blessed, hopeful is the man that endures difficult times. For when he's tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Are you enduring hardness? Are you having a difficult time? Are you having an experience this morning that seems so almost more difficult than you can imagine? There, James is saying, the hope that inspires joy, the hope that comes from wisdom, becomes a blessing in difficult time. Because what he's doing, he's getting up on top of us. I think I explained, I preached through this chapter, when we bought chairs from a man one time down in Yakima, I recall, he turned the chair upside down, and I held my breath. He started stomping on that chair. And I thought he was going to break them. No, that was his point, is they'll take the beating. And I think that's James's point. You can take the beating. He sold the chairs. I, I think we still have them. Yeah, she says we do. That's the kind of faith that works. Takes the blows. It might scare you to pieces, and it might scare everybody else to pieces too. But that's not the issue. The issue is glorifying our Lord Jesus Christ. And I just wonder, you know, as we face difficult times in our lives and take the blows and take the beatings and cry out for wisdom, and I believe sometimes with me, I have a... I have a uh, a reminder in my house that uh, wakes up in the morning and she can just about read the countenance on my face. And sometimes it just takes some others to remind you, like, where is the joy of the Lord? Brothers, we need to continually call each other up to this. When you see me kind of uh, the lips down, and I haven't notified my face yet, it's okay to smile, notify me. It's okay. But maybe I need to have something to share with you. Maybe there's, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to smile. And that's okay too. I'm not talking about faking it and making it. I'm talking about taking it and, and letting it work out and bubble up into the glory of God that gives us hope. That's what James is saying. 
Faith works. It's not just this magical thing that I think people have this idea that when I come to Jesus, that it's going to be riches and happiness and so much. I think we've oversold the emotion. It's part of it. But down deep inside is a real experience. And I know I'm looking at the faces of you this morning that could teach me so much about the experience. So faith works in difficult times. And could it be, could it be that God has you, you or me, right now this morning in a difficult time, and he's given me the opportunity for faith to work and choose joy and choose wisdom and choose blessing so that he can say, now I know. It wasn't easy for Abraham to get to the place where God could say, now I know. But think what that must have felt like to him. Not affirmation. Number two, talking about faith works in practice. I said the first faith work is in difficult times. The second, point two, is faith works in pure religion. Verse 27 of chapter 1. Faith works in pure religion. It says it's undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, in this day and in this time, there are two things going on. One is when a widow was widowed, uh, even Paul talks about widows, young widows that were, were widowed, they were encouraged to, to perhaps remarry. They needed sustenance. They needed, they needed protection. They weren't protected. still that way in many societies where the widow is an outcast. The man can be killed by a lion that morning in the jungle and she is dirt that night. No one will touch her. Children are sold in the markets. They're sold to slavery. And James had the passion of our Lord and he said, you know what? Faith that works is going to look like two things. First of all, he said it's going to look like outreach. Outreach. And he says, suggest the fatherless. He's suggesting the widows. He's suggesting those among us that are not sufficient to supply their own needs, perhaps even physically, let alone emotionally or spiritually. He's suggesting two things. Pure religion has outreach. And secondly, Pure religion has separation from the world. Visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and keep himself unspotted from the world. He just pulls it out. He says, it's faith that works and pure religion has two dynamics to it. One is outreach and the other is a passion to be separated from the world. And I believe as I see the end times coming and I see how easy it is to relax, I am concerned that perhaps there could be a day and time which 
we would grow casual, we would grow careless, and that day would take us as by a surprise. Our Lord is worthy of more glory than just the casual church that doesn't really care if they hear His voice or no. The call is to be unspotted from the world. And I'll tell you, as you see, I, I saw, uh, it, it, it's easy for people to think that all, if we just get a little more involved in certain arenas, we might be able to change our lifestyle and our living. But church, we are pilgrims and we are strangers. In this world, this kingdom is not our home. That's what Jesus said. That's just a call. Faith works. The world's value system and kingdom and so forth. And I think it's easy in, in entertainment or whatever. Ask ourselves, let's don't be afraid to call ourselves up. How is this going to bless you? How is this, ask ourselves, how is this going to cause me to be more of a kingdom separated unto Jesus Christ, pure, virtuous bride at his coming? Good question. Number three. Well, I want to say this before I... If we live in pure religion, undefiled before God the Father, in outreach, whatever's in front of you, and in unspottedness from the world, could it be that God places us in places like this he places needs around us that we see. He allows us to be in the world, not take it out of the world. And we make choices with the outreach and with the separation that he could say, now I know. That your faith has worked. Number three. Faith works when Christ gets the glory. I'm going now out of one and into chapter two. Have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with respect of persons. Now James was addressing a problem here, and some of you told me about this worthometer that, that James is saying, don't put the worthometer upon people. The worthometer belongs to Jesus. He is all worth. He's all value. And James is saying that when we raise someone else up, it's like putting Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, down. Don't do that. Always raise him up. Faith works when Christ gets the glory. The, the others, the, the, he's saying about this whole thing, of if you see someone, or maybe you look at me and say, you know... Uh, he just doesn't quite have it together, and that's exactly true. But really, who, who gives us the, the right to, to give value? James is saying, don't do that. Uh, he's the one that gives all value, and he's the one that describes all value. And so when I begin to give value to you, I tamper into his business. We lower him and we raise others. And James gives us a beautiful picture here of the way of partiality, the wrong of partiality, the way out of it. But when we give him glory, 
that he deserves, could it be that he is saying, now I know your faith works. Point four. Faith works when we trust. So I'm going to go to 21st and through 25 in James 2. Faith works when we trust. Here we have, I don't think I'm going to take time to read through it. We have the story of Abraham, and he was justified by works. How Abraham, God said, Abraham, you are going to have a child. And he believed it. And it's counted to him for righteousness because he believed. That's a work of faith. Believing is a work of faith. Don't lose sight of it. I think we about lost sight of it a little bit yesterday morning. Whew, it was a breath of fresh air to come back to. Believing is a work of faith. But then he didn't stop there. He continued on to obey. More work of faith. And he, God said, take, your, take the, the knife and kill, the, kill your son. Make him a sacrifice. And Abraham was going to be obedient. And then God stopped him. And God said, now I know. Because Abraham trusted. Now Abraham's called the father of the faithful. We kind of put him up here. I said we shouldn't do that, but you know, we say that. Well, who was Rahab then? Um, you judge. A heart living on the city wall. But in the end, Rahab's faith, they said, you know, Rahab, if you just hang that scarlet cord out, we'll save your people when we come in to destroy the camp. And she hung it out. She just hung out her faith. The point is, is when we trust, our faith works. She just trusted. I'll do it. How could it have felt like it worked when all that stuff she'd heard? When we question God, can we still believe with faithful Abraham the fact that God will provide himself a lamb? Are you questioning God this morning? Faith works. Often faith calls, faith that works, this is what I wrote down this morning, faith that works usually calls us to sacrifice. How does that feel? Imagine the speechless joy of the father and the son. I can't imagine that the three-day walk up here and going to take the life of my son. The sacrifice in his heart. But think of the joy when the father and the son embraced the same knife is going to slit the heart, slit those ropes on the sacrifice. You talk about a holy moment, a father and son embracing on that mountaintop. Never take it away from him. And faith that works is always that way. Usually has a sacrifice to it. In what way am I choosing today to lay my best and most choice thing on the altar for God? Faith works. For some of you here, it might be your health that you're laying on the altar. 
might be your plans. Maybe your giftings. Maybe your resources. I don't know. I just know faith works. Do we encourage this kind of living? Could it be that God is saying, when we sacrifice and are willing to sacrifice, now I know. <clears throat> Number five. Faith works if I know and do what I know to do. James 4, 17. This is really simple. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, the hammer is sin. Now faith works. And I just simply put, faith works if I know and do what I know to do. I, I can't make it any simpler. Many people in the Bible said, yeah, but I'm just a one-talent man. But he was just required to do what he could do with one talent, right? Remember that man? Just a one-talent man. The priest and the Levite never did anything wrong. It's just what they didn't do. They just knew they should have stopped and helped, but they didn't. Faith works if I know and do what I know to do. What's coming to your mind? When God looks at me, can he say, for now I know. Your faith works because you just do what you know to do. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I read a story one time. If you see a man drowning and you don't go pull him out or try to, or someone in a fire and you don't go aid, aid them, it's no different than if you push them in the water. It's no different than if you lit the house on fire. Faith works if I know and do what I know to do. And could it be that in each situation, when I do what I know to do, God says, now I know. Your faith works. Last of all, faith works if our security is in the eternal. And I went all the way over to James 5, and James has spent all this time knocking the props out of men that put security in carnal and temporal things. And he starts in things like this, in the seventh verse of five. Now remember, our security is in the eternal. He starts in, brethren, be patient, establish your hearts. Look at that. Uh, I said verse eight, verse eight. Be patient, establish your hearts. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Listen to this uplift. The pull up. The coming of the Lord is drawing nigh. Our security is in the eternal. Powerful. The judge is standing at the door. Men of God have gone before us. They've suffered tremendously. But the Lord is drawing nigh. The return of the Lord. Be patient. The call to patience. The, the call to, to continue to faith work. It's just loaded in that. In the coming of the Lord. And like the husband and the farmer. I say it's a call to patience. For something greater is still yet to come. It's on the horizon. Listening for the trumpet. Makes these things seem smaller. And that's not all. Faith works if our security is in the eternal Look at the amount of prayer that takes place in 13 on down. 
any among you afflicted, let him pray. Verse 14, if he's sick, call for the elders of the church and let them pray. The 15th verse, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The 16th verse, confess your faults one another and pray one for another that you may be healed. In the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The 17th verse, Elias was a man subject to like passions we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. Verse 18, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. I just like the way this ends up here. It ends up with our focus not on the temporal, but our focus is on the eternal, the return of the Lord, our connection with the eternal in prayer. There are always two kinds of security. One is eternal, one is temporal. The temporal, one day, the temporal securities are all going to be left behind. The eternal securities is as the name implies. This body that we live in today, that we call by name, it's going to be left behind. I told someone the other night, talking about their, their, their secure investments and so forth on this earth, decisions to be made. And I don't mean reckless living, we're called to be good stewards, but there's going to be a day, one day, church, that all of us are going to take our flight out of here. And when I'm about five or ten miles or fifteen miles up, and I look back at this little smoldering ball of dirt, my little things are going to be pretty small and insignificant in comparison to that which is eternal and significant in the Lord Jesus Christ, in a faith that worked, in a faith that could grasp security in that which is eternal. Do you have eternal security for your soul this morning? We need a refuge for our soul. There's nothing on this earth to save your soul. When you're taking your flight five and ten miles out and you look back at the portfolios and the things that you thought would save you in this life or be meaningful to you in this life, they're going up in smoke one of these days and it might be before the day is over for us individually. You have eternal security. Security this morning is only in a faith that works in Jesus Christ. No other, no sweat equity in this game whatsoever, unless it is that which has caused me to claim to Him greater. Conviction that Jesus is the only Savior. Place my faith and trust in Him today. Follow Him. That is the faith that works. That is the faith that God can say, Now I know. Would we be willing to call each other to this kind of living? To live out our faith. I think that was the call of every message that I attempted to preach, is living out our faith. Listening for the call of God. Actively pursuing opportunities to use your giftings. Are you doing that? Do you say, Lord, I've got some giftings. I talked to a man last week. He said, I've got some giftings. I just want to use them. Oh, that's so beautiful. Whatever those giftings are, are you willing to make them available? Are you available to the Lord for faith to work this morning? Are you available to share your faith? Are you available to look for needs? Are you available to love your life? Are you available to mentor others? Are you available to see beauty in a brotherhood of believers that where all of us are more impactful in the reaching of the nations than one of us is are you willing this morning to say, yes, faith works?